0: What's up, Mozination? I was recently interviewed on Omar Elatar's The Passionate Few, and in part one of the podcast, we talked about three things. One, the path from employee Alex to entrepreneur Alex and how I kind of stepped into the identity that I have now. Number two, how I incorporate fitness in my business journey and how I stay consistent with it despite the pressures of a business. And third, how I look at systems, how we optimize systems to scale a business and thoughts around adding them to a business at different sizes i hope you enjoyed as much as we enjoyed making it for you so i would fly out and i'd say i get to collect all the upfront sales i'll spend the marketing i'll do the sales i get all the upfront cash you get all the
1: customers ah so you negotiated that deal yeah so you kept 100 percent of the people you signed up the first month yeah six weeks but yeah Welcome to The Game, where we talk
0: about how to get more customers, how to make more per customer, and how to keep them longer, and the many failures and lessons we have learned along the way. I hope you enjoy and subscribe.
1: Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Passionate Few podcast today. It's your host, Omar here, and today we're sitting down with the CEO of Gym Launch and a handful of other companies, none other than Alex Hermosi And as some people might know in the internet space, he's gone from literally zero in March of 2017, I think, to now just clearing 110 million in revenue between his companies. So today we're going to pick his mind, hear his whole story and get some advice for how you guys can grow your mindset in business. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Alex. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Awesome, man. So I know we were talking a little bit before the zoom call about kind of the nuances of now you're kind of teaching entrepreneurship and kind of giving advice with no agenda per se, but take me back. Like What's the, where did the inspiration for the entrepreneur that is Alex before, you know, 110 million in revenue, you know, you and your wife, Layla really killing it in, in the fitness space. But like, take me back to Alex before all this started, what were you doing before and where did entrepreneurship start for you early on? I had a, I would say I had an atypical story.
0: I was not the, the entrepreneur who felt like school didn't understand him. And who, you know, struggled paying attention and was slinging, you know, hot dogs on the side. Like that was not my story. I did really well in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to Vanderbilt, graduated in three years, cum laude, Did very well in the SATs. I got above Harvard, Harvard's mid-score on my GMATs. And I was I was planning on going the management consultant or investment banking route because that was kind of the where I knew that people made the most money. But I read the four-hour workweek when I was a management consultant. And I, it was during the process when I, was, I had just done my two years. I was 23. And I realized that there was no job that was going to pay me as much money as I wanted to make and would let me live. Mm-hmm. I knew that there were jobs like being an investment banker, for example, you can make 10 million a year as an investment banker, you know, once you, you know, move up the ranks, but you pretty much give 25 years of your life to right. get there. And I, that was like, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't feel like it made sense to me to give up all my youth for money later. You know what I mean? We all see those cartoons of the person chasing the money at the very end. They have all this money and they're old and they're looking a cliff. And so I just didn't want that. And so I was applying for um, business school. And one of the questions was how will, uh, you know, X, Y, Z MBA help you with your short and long-term goals. And, and I think pretty sure this is why they asked the question to make sure that people are clear on why they're even applying. And um, I spent like two days looking at the question and then I just realized it wasn't going to help me with my short and long-term goals. And so then I just looked at the opportunity costs of spending, you know, $200,000 in two years of not making income versus, you know, starting a business. And so that was what got me to transition. I looked at a bunch of different business ideas. I was, I was super close to opening up a frozen yogurt store. I was, I uh, you have a name for it. Yeah. Evie's treats. Evie's treats. Yeah. I just thought it was like sweet and kiddish. And it had like a candy and a positive energy like vibe overall. Yeah. I was going to model it after a candy store, except it had frozen yogurt, but from a decoration style, I think like lights and all the, the huge tubes of toppings. Like I, I could tell you all about the yogurt business if you ever want to. <laughs> um, but anyways, I ended up uh, realizing that it was like $200,000 to start one of those and I didn't have that. So I had about $60,000 that I had saved up at 23.
1: And how did you save up that cash just from jobs along the way?
0: From the consulting gig that I, that I, that uh, I landed up after college. So I, I, I had... Um, how much both. were
1: you making, give or take, doing the consulting, if you don't mind sharing at that time?
0: I, it's good. So I had set up, I think I was making 50 or 60. I honestly can't remember. It was either 50 or 60 grand a year out of college. And... The second year I was in that job, they allowed me to work on like commission. Mm -hmm. So if I brought in a deal, I would get a higher rate. Mm -hmm. And so they ended up switching me to that. And so we ended up having one deal that happened in the last six months of me being there. And I got two like $30,000 paychecks. Mm -hmm. And after I got the second one, that deal ended. And so I was going to have another period where I basically didn't get a paycheck until the next deal came through. And so it was at that point that I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And so that's when I, um, that's when I, I sold my condo and I, uh, packed my car and I started driving
1: across the country to California, which is where I opened my first gym. And when you open your first gym, this is before you met Layla or anything like that, right? Yep, right. Stage. So 24, you open your first gym and, and what's your plan at this stage? Like, are you already thinking about scale in this or it's just like a yeah. path and you want to create your own income? Like a lot of entrepreneurs now at 24, 25, they're trying to get to comic club, beyond on stage, click funnels, you know, like. And they make that the target instead of the stuff in front of them. Um, Take me to your mindset wise at that time. What was going through your head with that first one?
0: I was never planning on being like, I would say it was brief Mm -hmm. that I wanted to be a, a, so I'll answer your question with context. I was so depressed in this consulting job um, that I just didn't want to be alive anymore. And so (laughs) I, I, I didn't. And so when I realized that a lot of the things that I created was because of what I thought I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that I was, in some places they call that a rock top moment rather than a rock bottom moment. You get to the top of the mountain and you realize there's nothing there, right? And so I was like, "This is miserable." If the rest of my life is more of this, then I don't want to apply. And so that was when I, you know, quit everything, sold everything, and said, "Well, at least if I, you know, do fitness, it's something that I'm really passionate about." And they say if you do something you're passionate about, then you know you'll work. You don't have to work another day in your life or whatever right. the saying is. And so I, I kind of bought into that, which is a lie, but <laughs> definitely have worked since then. But it got me on that path. And the thing is, is that as soon as I started the gym, it was the hardest period of my life was the first nine months of running my gym. In- actually, top two hardest periods of my life. And during that process, once I got out of like sleeping on the gym floor, which is how I started, to actually like making it into a business, at that point I was
1: hooked. And I just, I was, all I could think about was how do I, you know, how do I, how do I scale? How do I get more gyms? How do I open more locations? And and from the, from the point where you started to you started getting momentum was about nine months, you said? I was very fortunate. I hired a coach before I opened a gym.
0: Yeah. So I learned from the consulting world that the fastest way to learn a skill is to hire an expert because that's exactly what you do in the consulting, or the management consulting, which I came from. Because oh, was, that, was that Sam
1: Bactiar? It was, seven figure Sam. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I actually, so I actually knew Sam. Rest in peace, Sam. And uh, yeah, yeah, I know that he was instrumental in so many people's uh, fitness journey. So, well, what did you learn from him, man? That's awesome. Yeah. So to, to
0: my knowledge, I was, I am, I think Sam's only apprentice. So he created, <laughs> it's kind of funny, classic Sam fashion. I emailed 40 gym owners that seemed like they were doing something. He was the only one who replied to me. I was in Baltimore. He said, come on over, sure, man, we'll see what we can do. I drove over, knocked on his door and he was like, holy shit, you're here!" Like, that's weird. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm here. And he's like, where are you staying? I was like, I don't know. I just showed up at your door. And he was like, you, I was like, no, I literally just got out of my car, like from Baltimore. Like, hi. And so he said, well, you you know, I'm busy right now. He's like, but uh, you can come over to my place for dinner tonight. You can slip over and I was like, oh, thanks. So like, that was kind of the guy that Sam was. And I think Sam, Sam was a really passionate guy. He was definitely very opinionated. He created a lot of enemies and a lot of friends, but you always knew where you stood with Sam. So he, uh, he took me in and then I woke up with him every day. You know, I was at the gym at four with him to kind of learn the ropes. He let me sign up for his mastermind. So he was like, it's, it's 10 grand for my mastermind. So I said, okay, here's 10 grand. I was like, I don't have a gym. He said, it's fine. And then he turned around and gave me a job. So I was like, he started paying me back the money for the mastermind that I just paid for. <laughs> and then 90 days in, I found a location
1: and I said, I'm going to open this one. So how, um, scary, but, how, how scary was it for you to invest the cash at that time? Because that amount of money when you're in your mid twenties and you know- I had just, 60,
0: so I knew I had 10 left or 10, yeah. 10 less. And then I had 50. Like I was just running off of like how much money do I have, right and then uh, I opened the gym, I think for thirty seven mm-hmm. or something like that, and I spent money in the three months in between, so I know I had five thousand
1: dollars left in my bank account when the gym opened and was fitness already a part of your routine, and I just want to yeah. zoom in because I think a lot of people obviously you're fit as hell, we see all your caps videos on your instagram <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i was i was i was I think when I was fifteen, I was already very fit, like I was already like extremely fit. And how do you maintain the consistency thing? You just love it and it's so the, the, the consistency is automatic at this stage the results drive you or is it, does it help you with business in a certain context? Like do you get off? Honestly, none of those things. Really?
0: So I might have an interesting answer for you. Yeah, it's interesting because I think if you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs about fitness they're actually kind of green. They're new to it. I've been training for 17 years. So as though like despite the fact that I'm younger like I'm actually I'm like old in the iron game. You know what how, I mean? How old are you? Uh, now? Where are you 41. 31. Okay. But like, I've been training for a long time. Like, I I mean, I had state records when I was 20. So like, Mm -hmm. I've been competing for a long time at that point already. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so in the beginning, I started working out because I wanted to be strong enough to protect myself. And then it transitioned from that to wanting to get girls, which it didn't help with, but That's what I thought it would help with. And then from there, it transitioned to to status, right? Once I was in college, it was more about just like looking good in general. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it transitioned to uh, being about progress because then I got into the strength game and really started like powerlifting and competing and all that. And then once I opened my business from that point going forward, and that was 2013 when I opened my gym, my first gym, fitness no longer was a priority for me. My body was the vehicle for growth prior to the business. And then the business became the vehicle for growth. As soon as that started, I would say from then until now, it's been more or less the same, which is I work out because it is a part of my identity. I enjoy what I feel like after I work out, I take the same amount of inertia to overcome to get to the the workout, you know, facility like I have and I'm working on this now, hopefully, I mean, I have achy joints, like my my knees hurt, my hips hurt, you know what I mean, because I've been doing a lot of volume for a long time. So like, I get in there and I just try and clock, I just call them punch in. It's just like I clock in, I clock out. I do my, I do my volume and I go about my life because I am in the fitness space and I need to look a certain way. And so that's kind of what I've kind of tricked myself into. It's like, I have to look a certain way. I don't think I actually have to,
1: but I tricked myself. Sam actually, Sam actually told me that too, that, uh, that it's like used as like a pressure motivation. And that's why So often you see that, you know, very seldomly you see people in other careers actually maintain their physique over the course of years. It happens, but it's an anomaly. Usually people who maintain their body are in the fitness space because they're walking billboards. It creates that pressure of like, shit, I'm an example of what I teach at some level, at least in your head, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's difficult because you also, a lot of things that make you look super fit are actually not good for your health. So like me walking around at my body weight in general is not good for my longevity, which is one of the things I struggle with because I want to make progress. Right, I want to get better, but me getting better—I actually think. I mean, if I get bigger now, I just look worse. Mm -hmm. And if I get stronger, my joints hurt more. And if I gain more muscle, I live less time because my heart will give out. So that's like the real that no one talks about. So those are the things that I look at. So for now, it's like I'm just—I train to train so that I can maintain where I'm at. I may lose 30 pounds, you know, when I'm 40, just to get even leaner. But anyways, not to not to digress into a fitness tangent.
1: No, no, it makes sense because a lot of people, I'm sure, think about that. You know, a lot of times you know, they say one area affects the other. Have you found that when you don't work out for X amount of time, it starts throwing you off in business a little bit, or th- starts throwing off your mind or rhythm at all? Not at all. Not at this stage, yeah.
0: No, not at all. If I don't work out, I'm I'm just, a, if anything, I have more energy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I used to, I mean, I used to sell fitness and so I would tell people like, oh, the reason you're tired is just not working out. And I think that there's, there's some truth to that because it's usually because people are just so unaware of their body and what they're eating and they're so out of touch. But like, I I know what I eat. I know how many grams of everything that go into my body because I've been doing it for such a long time. So, and if I take a week off,
1: I'm fine. You know what I mean? And I I work out. Yeah. So you it's occasionally pick out. Then you're human. You're not just like this super disciplined robot that's up at like two a.m. or three a.m. four a.m. every day. Well, it's What's the balance for you. So there's so I anything that I can't do forever, I
0: don't do. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I don't follow diets. I don't like none of those things make any sense to me personally. Because unless you're competing, right, which just about no one is, then (laughs) the only thing that you have to do is something that you can do for a sustainable period of time. And so for me, like, I'm writing a book on it because Russell, I've, I've had so many conversations with entrepreneurs. I did this, I did this weekend where it was eight entrepreneurs and all of us are doing about half a billion a year in revenue between the eight of us. And everybody went up and shared tactics and whatnot. And then during lunch, everyone's seeing me eating cookies and Twizzlers and they're like, what is wrong with you? Um, and on the second day they saw me doing it again. And they're like, what the hell? Like, seriously. And they're all like, no, I do keto. Cause they're all entrepreneurs. Right? No, I know I, I eat only two fats and I do intermittent fasting. And I, you know, like they're always just doing all this crazy shit. Okay, right. Sorry if I was not supposed to cuss. No, no, you're good. And I was like, you guys just have it all wrong. Like I eat two pounds of meat a day, which is 200 grams of protein. And that gives me about a thousand calories. And then I eat 1500 calories of whatever else I want. And that's every day. Mm-hmm. That's it. So if I want to eat 1,500 calories of ice cream, I do that. If I want to eat 1,500 calories of pizza, I do that. If I want to eat bagels and cream cheese, then I do that. It doesn't matter. It truly does not matter. And it's just not sexy from a fitness selling perspective because it's like everybody wants to have a unique mechanism. Right. But the route is like you eat a gram per pound of body weight and protein and then the rest of your calories to whatever your goal is. And if you want to be in a deficit, just decrease it. But I've never, I haven't stopped eating
1: ice cream for years. I eat ice cream probably once to twice a day. I want to ask one more question before we get back to the business stuff. <laughs> but I noticed you're a systems guy, like, you're, like you have a lot of these rules and systems. Do you spend a lot of time kind of like, you know, obviously it sounds simple, right? You know, it's something I can't do forever. I don't do like a very simple rule, but I'm sure it took a lot of trial and error and bullshit to get to that simple conclusion. Do you spend a lot of time consciously reviewing and reiterating systems like in your mindset and your business? Is that a, is that a constant priority for you? 100%. It's probably the thing that I do the most of. Mm -hmm. just refining little things. It's developing frameworks.
0: It's developing frameworks for thinking. Mm -hmm. Because like at the end of the day, we only have so much decision-making power. Mm -hmm. And if we can use frameworks, then we can conserve that power and make more high quality decisions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the decisions that we are making are similar in nature. The variables may be different, but the nature of the decision is the same, Mm -hmm. right? Are we going to spend more? Are we going to spend less? Are we going to add more acquisition? Are we going to add this extra service line, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so, If you've made, if you're making that decision for the first time, it's very arduous. You're like trying to spring it all in and trying to weigh the, the, weigh the outcomes. But if you have a framework for making the decision, then it's significantly easier and faster and you have a higher likelihood of making the right call, which, you know, at a certain point, all of us are simply rewarded for the quality of our decisions over a long enough time horizon. Mosey real quick, if you are a business owner that has a big old business and wants to get to a much bigger business, going to $50, $100 million plus, we would love to talk to you. And if you like that or would like to hear more about it, go to acquisition.com. You can apply anywhere on the page and talk to one of our team and see if we can help you get there.
1: So how do you incorporate joy in that? The results on the back end? The joy? I think it's, it's a really good question. I think that if
0: I look at my life now compared to what it was two years ago, I'm I have significantly more joy in my life. And if you put, you know, ten years ago, it's wildly different. You know what I mean? I went from not wanting to be alive and being okay with not waking up tomorrow to genuinely being I would be very bummed if I died. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if everyone can say that, but I, I I would be bummed if I died. I yeah. just a lot of like there's a lot of stuff I like in my life. And so I think that the easiest way from a like a programmatic standpoint to, to reverse engineer joy is just simply saying, like, what do I enjoy doing on a daily basis? And then like, how can I create as many of those days as possible? That's right. And that's, that's at least how I think about it. And so my days look more or less the same because this is what I like doing. I wake up at the time i like waking up. I train at my beautiful home gym that I have with, that's completely commercial. You know, (laughs) if you've seen some of the videos of it, it's very cool. You know, I hang out with my wife. We, 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 you know, we do the same things because that's my, that's kind of my my ideal day And so we do as many of those days as we can. Every once in a while we add variety in,
1: you know, so it doesn't get stale, but that's how I like living. Powerful, man. So take me back to when you start the first gym before all this happens. Yeah. You start the first one and then it takes nine months, you get the ball rolling. And then where are you at in revenue where you finally go, aha, now I'm starting to get it. what What was happening where you went, ah, now I got, I went from being a novice. I went from being a beginner to like, okay, I get this.
0: I started out very successfully. I made $5,000 my first month in business. I made 10,000 the second month, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. 35 was month seven or eight. Mm -hmm. I had the gym outsourced at month nine, so I had a manager and and trainers full-time so that I wasn't running the gym. Month 15. And what was your overhead
1: monthly at that time, give or take? It wasn't too
0: bad. I know that I had scrolled away 50 grand in the first, I think it was the first six months, something like that. Like I, I'd saved Mm $50,000. So I'd already made the money back from starting the gym, um, in that time period. And then by month 15 opened up the second location and then month 21, we opened the third location and then we had four and five and then six. So six locations in three years.
1: And did you have partners in them
0: or you were so? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had, so I started it on my own and then, Mm Being the unwise young entrepreneur that I was, I basically gave away two-thirds of my business for no money, even though it was making me $20,000 a month. I sold two-thirds of a business that was making $20,000 a month in net free cash flow to me for $34,000. And then I bought Sam's 10% back because he made a deal with me that he would get 10% of the business, and I didn't like that somebody else had 10%. So I gave away two-thirds at a like $37,000 valuation, and I bought back 10% at a $200,000 valuation that Sam had valued it at. And so I ended up netting $17,000 for the, for the sale of two thirds of my business that was making me $20,000 a month. So these are examples of fucking stupid decisions that you make. And so if anyone's listening is like, man, this guy sounds like, you know, a moron, anyone can do it. (laughs) So, you know, but what ended up happening as a result of that is I now had one third of a gym, and so I was like, "Well, shit, I need three gyms just to get back to where I was before." And so that kind of—I think that might have actually tricked me into the the desire to grow very quickly because I needed to make. The, I I, try, I was trying to retroactively make a poor decision seem like a good decision, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and so that was why I went into this trying rapid growth mode. So I had the two partners for the first two locations and the third location, and then me and one of the partners bought out the one the third partner. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up buying out the first partner and it took three years to do this
1: process
0: <laughs> and then sold the gyms. And, and it, how old like,
1: were you at this age when you, when you sell the gyms? In your I gym? was 20, I think I just turned 27. Okay.
0: 26 yeah. or 27. I can't remember.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So that That's was when I incredible. sold them all. And it was right at the I mean, all of this stuff, all my, my timelines overlap. Right. So I had my gyms and then at this point I had, it was me and my, in the one partner. And I was like, Hey man, I'm going to open this gym. And so I opened my fifth one on my own, opened my sixth one on my own because I didn't want to do the partner thing anymore. Cause we also had different, different opinions about how we wanted to run it. Nothing wrong. It's just, you wanted to go high volume, low cost. I wanted to go super premium, lower, lower amount of people. It's just different. We still have a good relationship to this day. Anyways, during that process, I also started, I started getting reached out to and people were like, Hey, can you help me do what you're doing? Cause I'd open up all the gyms at full capacity, which was kind of my my thing at that point. And so I started flying out to gyms and doing gym launches, right? which is what we'd call them. So I'd fly out 21 days, sell 100, you know, 100 to 200 people, which was how a much lot. <laughs> were,
1: how much were you charging initially for that?
0: I charged nothing, but I averaged
1: $100,000 in sales for myself every 21 days. So it was working out well. So, uh, sorry, let me understand that. So you're yeah. You charge nothing, but we're doing 100000 a month?
0: Yeah, per gym. So I would fly out, and I'd say I get to collect all the upfront sales. I'll spend the marketing. I'll do the sales. I get all the upfront cash. You get all the customers. Ah,
1: so you negotiated that deal. Yeah. So you kept 100. You kept 100 of the people you sign ups first month. Yeah, six weeks, but yeah. <laughs> that's fucking smart, dude. Well, it's free acquisition for them. Right. Exactly. And they and have a fixed, right. and they have fixed costs. And they so like already- they like the fact that it motivates you because you get paid for what you deliver on. So it's it's aligned. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There was no, there was, I was like, I'm risking everything here. I'm paying for a hotel for 30 days. I'm paying for a rental car for 30 days. I'm paying food for 30 days. I'm paying an for 30 days. I got commissions for 30 days. I got all that. You have nothing out of pocket. So as a result of that risk that I'm taking on, I get the
1: upfront for six weeks and then you get the next two fucking years from the client. Yeah. Yeah. What made you, what made you think of that? Or was that just your intuitive first idea? Or did you kind of go back and forth weighing that decision out? Cause that's a little little scary, right? To for your first time to pitch that. It's like, People don't sell that all the time, right? It's not like a, a normal. No thing. risk to them. Yeah.
0: So I was like, pay five hundred bucks, reserve the date, and I'll fly out. I was like, uh, like why five hundred dollars? I was like, because I'm going to put three grand in 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 flights and stuff to your facility. I was like, this is literally just a token of commitment. Yeah. And they were like, all right, fair enough.
1: Okay, cool. So then, and then right away, you start getting one after another client, client, one after another. Yes, yeah, so I did thirty three launches over two years. And you make your first million
0: bucks during the stage. So this is, this is where the, uh, the online community is a little bit, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, the gyms that I had were already doing two million bucks a year, um, Yeah. but like I wasn't making two million dollars a year. <laughs> like it's just, it's yeah. revenue, a profit. Yeah. Um, I barely had anything. And then I sold the gyms. I basically fire sold the gyms because I wanted to start doing the gym launch thing. Cause that's what Russell, who became my, uh, I signed up for inner circle as a gym owner, which made no sense by the way. <laughs> yeah. I was I was on the on the sales call, uh like I was like, Oh, there's tons of gym owners here, like it'll be like you love it. <laughs> you yeah. get you'll get super connected. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made, but none of that stuff is true. <laughs> true. And it has nothing to do, like he might not have known. There was nothing disingenuous about it. It just
1: yeah.
0: it, it the group was I was the only brick and mortar owner in the room. But because of that, they were like, What are you doing in a brick and mortar gym? Like online is where it's at. And so when he heard what I was doing with my gyms, he was like, dude, you have six gyms and you're you're twenty, you know, 26. He's like, you need to be teaching people what you're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to teach anyone what I'm doing. I was like, this thing is like, I spent so long developing this whole process. I don't want to give anyone my secrets. And mm-hmm. so that's what transitioned me to doing the launches because I still didn't want to give away the secrets because I was so scarcity. Mm-hmm. Mindset stuff. And then finally, through a series of unfortunate events basically we were doing like six or eight gyms a month so we started scaling it up right i had eight uh, seven yeah. to do eight gyms a month you know and they how
1: were you, you handling that demand you were just hiring like crazy like just comp- like getting the deals and then figuring out how to service later because that that must have been i mean for somebody especially like yourself that likes systems and like things in an orderly fashion it was were, a mess it was yeah. a mess but cash a- was flying in so you could use that cash to clean up the mess. Cash no, it wasn't really flying. Cash only
0: flew in after we started doing the launches. So it's like, someone would say, yes, I want to do this thing. And let's say it's, what day is today? So it's April, right? So uh, they, they would say yes. I'm like, well, I can't slate you for May because I've already got gyms slated for May. So I was like, I could put you in June. I've got two slots left for June. So And so I had to balance how many gyms I had versus how many sales guys. The thing is, as soon as I moved to the next month, I had to get eight more gyms because I had eight guys. And I couldn't get 10 because I, I still had eight guys. Because I didn't. then you're like, do I scale up two more? But that means I have to do 10 the next month, right? So, it's, so that part was scary. But uh, the issue with the problem with the original model was, I was the one holding the bag for the liability. Right. So I made all the sales. I processed the payments. but I had no control over delivery. And candidly, the people who were coming to me who wanted to get more clients, weren't. I mean, this, if we're being candid here, were not the best gym owners. Because really good people at delivery have full gyms. Right? So the people who were really struggling were the ones who came. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't do the best job of delivery at the time. And so I had two gyms in a matter of a week tell all the clients that I had sold to refund after I left. Oh, sure. And it wasn't me. It was one of my sales guys. But like, you, you get the idea. And so I got $100,000 in refunds. And like, I didn't, that was like everything I had saved up at that point. I had $100,000 in refunds. And, and basically the percentage of refunds that were there exceeded my margin in the business. Holy and so shit. what ended up happening was I had to sell more the next month to cover the month before was refunds. <laughs> and I had to do that. And I had to do that two months in a row. And the nut kept getting bigger with every month that I would scale up. And so it was just this, it was horrible. Just the pressure was just, it was, it was horrendous. Do you think that, so, that
1: pressure, that pressure was necessary, at least at that stage to catapult you to like have to figure it out? Cause like there was literally no other option. Yeah. Yep, I'm a big believer in that. What's interesting is, is he, that when I started he, the gym... who would have been at the scale you're at now, at this quick, without that, or that was a catalyst, would you say?
0: It was a catalyst because of the way the model was thought out. And so this is a big proponent of this, is that, so for anyone who's listening, most people have had financial troubles in their lives at some point, right? Hmm. But just about everyone listening has gotten out of those financial troubles.
1: Right, Eventually. And
0: yeah, and especially if you're an entrepreneur, there's been many times you're like how the fuck am I going to make payroll? I've got this tax bill that comes up and then somehow magically you pull it out of your ass and you make it happen, right? Right. And the thing is is that what it's my belief that everyone knows how to make money. They just aren't comfortable making it for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're okay making it for the government, they're okay making it for their employees, they're okay making it for their landlord, they're okay making it for their overhead, but when it comes to themselves, they treat themselves poorly. Mm-hmm. And so the the thing that broke for me at that point was that I said, I have to just make money. I don't care about running a business. I don't care about the branding. I don't care about the enterprise. I was like, I just need to make money so I can get out of this horrible, painful situation. I'm in. That's what launched gym launch, you know, version two, which became the coaching program. Right. And it was because I figured what's the most valuable thing I have. And I was like, I'll tell people how I've been making a hundred thousand dollars just going to a gym and, and doing my pro- process. But I was so scared of giving it away that the only reason I ended up doing it was because I was actually going to get out of the industry. So my wife started her online business. How'd you meet her, by the way?
1: Because I love that story.
0: Yeah, she, uh, <laughs> you know, you know my stuff. So, I was, <laughs> <I was trying. laughs> um, so my wife and I met on Bumble and she was a trainer and she was the top salesman for 24-hour fitness in, in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And so on our first date, I pitched her on working for me. Even I was like, Hey, even if this doesn't work out, you should totally work for me. <laughs> you can sell, We can make a ton of money together. And so I tripled what she was getting paid. She was like, okay, there's way more to this story, but <laughs> she said, okay. And so she joined me on these launches. And so she and I launched these gyms together in the beginning before I started scaling them up. But she was with me, you know, days, z- you know, ground zero, day one, growing this thing. She was with me through the transitions. She was with me through the, the borderline
1: bankruptcy. She's been with me through the whole thing. And so she's a rock. But, Holy shit, dude! That's yeah. amazing. Do you yeah. think do you think the fact that you guys bonded on the connection of fitness also laid a huge foundation to it being a like a strong foundation for the relationship? I don't think fitness
0: was the main thing. I think I think there was a much deeper connection from like a kindred spirits, like souls. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: We had a lot more similarities in fitness because I mean, candidly, I dated people who were in fitness. Like it was, it was, like, it wasn't. It, it, fitness is very service level. Like you know, she and I both were half Iranian. Iranian father, white, white mother, both of us had issues with, you know, had, had had some difficulties with childhood. Both of us left our homes at the same age, drove across the country to California to start our lives again. Both yeah. of us had gone through this fitness journey transformation wise. Both of us got into fitness and set like there were wow. way more similarities yeah. um, than just the fitness piece. And so the That's biggest crazy. one is that we were both growth oriented. We just wanted to grow. And so that's why we've been able to continue to do what we do. But she, she started her fitness business. It started doing a thousand dollars today. And I was like, well, shit, let's just do this. Let's skip out the middleman with the gyms. We can just sell fitness. We'll take the eight sales guys, do eight guys selling a thousand a day, selling digital products. This'll work. They're like fitness courses for a thousand bucks or something. It was 16 week transformation program. Okay. And she would coach them through. It was like a, it was like a done with you program kind of thing. Like this is the curriculum. This is what you're going through. I'll talk to you every week to make sure that you're following it. We adjust things, et cetera. Mm. And it started working. And so I had eight gyms that were supposed to launch the next month. And, um, I called them up and said, Hey, you know, we're not going to do this. We, you know, we pivoted directions. And, you know, they were like, Hey man, we need this. And only at this point, because I didn't think I was going to get into fitness because I was so scared. So you might that was like, fine. I'll sell my secrets. And so I, I sold my system, you know, for $6,000, that was the first guy. And I, I put the number so high that I thought no one would ever say yes. That was the, like, that was my actual thought was, I just picked a number that I didn't think anyone would buy. And the guy said, yes. And I was like, holy shit. And then now that I knew I had to make this thing, cause I sold one of them, I got on the call of the next guy and I said, same, same conversation. And I was like, $8,000. And he was like, okay. And I was like, holy shit. And the next call, same thing. I was like, $10,000. She's like, okay. And I was like, holy mother of God. And so I did $60,000 in sales on that one day. Yeah. And, and I realized, I was like, I, I mean, I can't, I can't express how like, I, all I felt was like, whatever this was, let's do as much of this as humanly possible. <laughs> and I want to get out of this horrible place. Because I, mean, I still owed, Yeah, my nut for the next month was going to be like a hundred grand. Like, and that was before overhead. I had like a hundred grand that I had to cover from refunds I knew were gonna come. Then overhead, then, you know what I mean? Then maybe they yeah, I get it, I get it, yeah. yeah. So I just went back to all 33 gyms and said, hey, remember that thing I did at your gym where we filled it up? Wanna see how I did it? And they were like, sure. And so I basically sold almost every one of those guys and ended up making, I think 350,000 next month. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed making it for you, Mosey Nation. Stay tuned for part two of the podcast coming up next, which we're gonna cover. And in part two, we discuss how to select the right niche and how important a niche is for the opportunity that you're pursuing. Second, the decisions and the decision-making framework that I use when I have difficult choices in front of me. And third, the importance of delayed gratification and separating inputs from outputs, work from results, and how breaking that chain is ultimately the unlock for success. Stay tuned and enjoy.